What's going on, everybody? How we doing? That was weak. What's going on? Everybody doing good? Come on. Jeez. You guys need some caffeine, some heavenly nectar. I don't know, something. Wake yourselves up. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, I want to welcome you guys to Connect. Uh, if you're here for the first time, hopefully you've been blessed so far. You know, when we, uh, when we come to church, we like to have a good time and, and laugh and learn and love on Jesus. Amen? So that's kind of what's going on. If it's new to you, it, it was new to us at one time, too. And, you know, one of the things I learned about uh, church, I grew up in church. I, uh, I grew up in a very religious environment. I hated, I hated aspects of it. I loved aspects of it. I kind of had that mixture um, we would have quote-unquote revival meetings, and I would be sleeping in them, you know what I mean? So that tell you a little bit about, like, sleeping through revival, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's life-changing. Uh, how you doing down there? <clears throat> you know, so you can get that mixture, and, you, and as a result, you can kind of get mixed up. But one of the things I learned um, kind of moving forward in faith, maturing, looking for kind of answers myself, becoming a student and uh, a good follower is that the, the message needs to remain sacred, but the methods are not. In fact, it's critical that the methods change in order for the message actually to be uh, communicated, ad adapted, adopted in people's lives. And so we've just kind of grown. Uh, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived. We think we're better than anybody else, but we've just kind of done everything we can to make the church of Jesus Christ attractive to people when they come. It may be very different from what you've experienced, but we want to make it a place where people want to be here, not have to be here. Can I have an amen? So this isn't a uh, got to, this is a get to. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is a get to. And you get to sit next to me. Okay. <laughs> Can we say hello to all our online and cable viewers? Can we give them a big hand? Glad to have you guys with us this morning. Amen. All my friends in Pakistan, I'm saying hello to you, Okay. My friend uh, from Pakistan was telling me, please send us more, send us more. They had 1,800 people give their lives to Jesus Christ through our online services. I just think that's amazing. 1,800 people. That's incredible. Anyway, a couple of uh, quick announcements. You guys saw some stuff on Connect News there, but I, I do want to just kind of give a little, um, a little shout out to something. One, tonight, as you know, tonight is a big night. You're like, yeah, it's the Patriots. I know, I know it's the Patriots. <laughs> I haven't forgot. I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up, okay? But can I just say Jesus and then the Patriots? All right. So hopefully in this house we can get away with that, okay? So we're going to have a service tonight. Uh, I promise you it will not be an extended service. It will be extended ministry and worship. Uh, but it will not be an extended service. So we will be out We will be out very quickly. You probably, to be completely transparent, you'll probably at best miss the first quarter. So I just want you to know that we will have a general dismissal. What did I say? Somebody sneeze or something? So we will have a general dismissal no matter what at the appropriate time. Uh, and so you guys will be able to get home and see that. Just DVR the first quarter, fast forward through commercials. You're there. Bam. Okay. And then you might come here and as we say in the south, you might catch a healing. Okay. That's what my wife says. You know, I'm fixing to catch a healing. And so instead of having kind of a negative attitude about how you feel and what's going on in your life, why don't you have a positive attitude about it? And then let's apply what the Bible says, and that is if we use the name of Jesus. When Jesus was at the Last Supper, you know, Leonardo da Vinci over in the corner painting. That's funny. I don't care what you say. And while that's all going, then right after that, uh, he basically says, I want you to use my name. And when you use my name, all these incredible things can happen. And so we're going to use the name of Jesus tonight. 
And we're going to do something that we don't do all the time, but we believe can happen all the time, is we're going to pray for people who don't feel good, people who maybe it could be mental or physical. You should come to church expecting a miracle. We've been praying for 21 days as a church, and we're going to have a great service tonight. Amen? Amen. In addition, I want to tell you that on February, help me guys, I think it's the 5th, it's the first Sunday of the New Year, or is it the 3rd? 5th? February 5th is what we call No Excuse Sunday. Everybody say no excuse. excuse. Turn to your neighbor and say no excuse. So one time you can point and get away with it, okay? We have a no-excuse church, so we just want to get the whole family together. Uh, we have a lot of people in our church. If you put all our services together, uh, but sometimes people are kind of in and out, floating in and out. This is kind of our everybody come home. We're going to come to Jesus, and we're going to have church together. It's a big, big weekend. Some things I want to unpack for you as we go into the new year. Uh, we're also getting ready to start our small groups that week. I hope that small groups are on your radar. This is a big part of our church. In other words, if you just live on Sundays, it's hard sometimes to get all that God has for you. You work it out in the context of relationships, and that's where you really grow and, uh, and, and really change. Amen? All right, get your worship guides out. Follow along with me. We're in a series entitled Text, God's kind of message to you and me. How many of you guys enjoyed this so far? Yeah. All right, all right. Last week, like, I mean, you guys were like taking notes like crazy. And uh, so this will, this will be another good one. Um, let me just review for those of you who are catching up. Um, text is kind of, a, it's just a series on the Bible. People don't understand it. They don't get it. Uh, it's just a, it's a nice book for some people. It's a book I, I, I open it and I fall asleep as soon as I start to read it. Um, you know, my grandmother has one on the shelf. But we want to make the Bible something that uh, literally it should and it's designed to change your life. And so I want you to love it, live it, and learn it. And so during this season that we're in right now, you know, the first of the year, we're trying to get people praying and and, and also, a second discipline is getting in the Word. We, the Word is the Bible. They're kind of synonymous. And so we want to get you incorporating these two disciplines so that you can be, become a disciple. You know, I like to do physical conditioning, but I also like to do spiritual conditioning. And one of the ways that I spiritually condition my soul is to, is to talk to God, but also to allow God to talk to me. And he talks to me through his Word because the Bible is his Word. Amen. And so we want to get, you know, give us this day our daily bread, right? So we want to get some daily bread. And so we've been talking about that. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it's been our theme text, it says all scripture, the word, the Bible, all scripture is God-breathed and is what? Useful. Look at that word, useful. It's useful. In other words, it's the, I've been saying this for two weeks, the word works. The word works. It's, it's helpful for all aspects of life. It's not supposed to be the word on a shelf, you know, the kind of the word somewhere in a cabinet somewhere. No, it's the word in life, every aspect of your life to help you with teaching, correcting, and training, and equipping so that you and me can be ready for every aspect of life. That's what this text is telling us. Can I have an amen? But some people don't think the Bible is very legit. You know, they don't think it really, it, it's real. They don't think it's uh, God's word. It's like the little girl who went to school, and she's talking to her teacher. And, she's, and she'd been studying, you know, in school, but she'd also been studying in, in Sunday school, kind of just science and stuff like that. And, and she was studying about whales in school, and, but she heard about Jonah and the whale in Sunday school. So she goes to her teacher. She says, you know, uh, we're studying whales here, but I'm also studying about Jonah and the whale 
uh, in the Bible. And the teacher says, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's just a story. She, she, the little girl says, no, Jonah was swallowed up by a whale. The teacher says, that's, that's just humanly impossible. A, you know, a whale would not swallow, it cannot swallow, uh, you know, a person. It's just not going to happen. And she starts going into science and... The kid's like, no, I'm just, I'm telling you, that's what happened. You know, I, I, you know, I, I can't explain it. The teacher's kind of irritated watching this. And the student says, I can't explain it. I'm, sure, I'm not sure how it happened. But when I, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. So the teacher's kind of like all upset. And the teacher's like, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? And the little kid says, well, then you can ask. <laughs> oh. Okay, so the reason sometimes the Bible doesn't work is because we're reading it, it we learned in week one, at kind of just, it's just pages. It's just, it's just print on pages. We call this the logos level. That's, that's the word there in the Greek. The Bible is written in the New Testament, the original language in Greek. And so just written pages, logos level. That's what many people uh, do that do it, and then they give up on it because it doesn't work because they're not reading it at a rhema level where they're meditating on it, chewing on it, getting revelation from it, and then faith is, comes out as a byproduct of that, and it changes your life. The word is alive to those who live on it, act on it, learn it, love it, get passionate about it. Can I have an amen? So last week we talked about that in order for you to love something, you first have to understand it. You know, now I married my wife, you know, 25 plus years ago, and I loved her then, but I love her more now because I understand her more now. So we did an overview of the entire Bible in one service. How many were here last week? Raise your hand. All right. Hopefully, if you weren't here last week, please, please, please go online, YouTube, whatever, iTunes, get your, you know, free CD down in the lobby. It'll help you a lot. But we did a whole overview of the Bible. It's not written chronologically. And so sometimes we get confused because we're expecting it to be written chronologically, but it's written by type of book, the law books, first five, the history books, and so on, the prophets, and so on. And all those things are part of this big story. And so when you kind of get away from this macro 30,000-foot view of the Bible and you really begin to understand what's happening, you'll see that within the Bible is this plot, this redemptive story, and the subject of the Bible is Jesus trying to help you and me. So in every single book in the Bible, Jesus is in every single book. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. Jesus is the subject, you are the object, and giving is the verb of the entire Bible. That's what last week was about, amen? It was awesome, totally, totally awesome. So today I want to help those of you that when you are confronted by people who do not believe, I'm going to go get a prop here, so hang on, you keep listening, keep listening, people who are confronted by uh, others who tried to discredit the scriptures, a lot of times you're not prepared to handle, this will be an interesting <laughs> moment, a lot of times you're not prepared to handle, wait, this way, yeah, you're not prepared to handle what is, uh, don't worry, don't worry, oh, stop, 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 okay, here we go, all right, so look at this, look at this, everybody, a lot of times we're not ready to handle the scriptures and because people are confronting it, they're trying to debunk it, they're trying to say it's not legit, and they can't trust it. They can't lean on it. They can't, they're like scared, they're freaking out, like, oh, oh, they don't know if they're going to be able to make it. I want you to be able to trust the Bible. 
My friend Randy actually sent me a Christmas present, this is it, uh, two years ago. And on Christmas Eve, I was at the office, and I got this thing, this hoverboard, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. But at the same time, I heard stories about people like breaking their neck and freaking out and making mistakes and blowing up and all that. We won't get into that today, so don't, don't, don't send me emails, okay? I don't want to get them. You can send them to idontgiverip.com. But, uh, but he sends me this, and I call him up. I'm like, Randy, that is so awesome. You remember Pastor Randy from the first of the year. I said, this is such an awesome gift. He says, D, I'm so glad you called me. He goes, before you get on that board, do me a favor. Where are you? I said, I'm in my office. He says, okay, okay, go outside your office. He knows my office. Go outside your office. Go in the hallway. I'm like, cool. He goes, shut all the lights off. I go, what? He goes, shut all the lights off. He goes, then turn this thing on, and then I want you to carefully step onto it. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, no, just trust me. Trust me. Trust me. If you want to learn how to use this, don't look down. Step on the board. And then just begin to lean forward in the dark. The lights on the thing will guide you. I'm like, dude, you're crazy, man. You are crazy. I cannot trust myself or this board. There's no way. He goes, I'm telling you, trust me. Because when you do it this way, it'll become so intuitive, you won't even have to think about what you are doing. You'll be actually like it's a part of who you are. I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah. And that's exactly what, 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 what happened. And I was like buzzing around all over the office, and I'm like, woo, woo. It was so fun. And sometimes we don't trust because we don't understand. We don't trust because we're going by what we can see, what we know, what our experience has been. Let me tell you something. If you don't understand something in the Bible, it's because you don't understand. That was profound. Turn your neighbor and say that was profound. Okay. All right. So you guys, so you don't freak out. The pastor's going to like snap, crackle, pop. Let me get off that. All right. So the same confidence is essential when it comes to the word of God. God wants you to be able to trust, be able to like put your weight on it, be able to lean on it, be able to know that what you have is okay. So my job today is to convince you the word of God can be trusted. And I'm not uh, going to give you something that you couldn't find yourself. I don't consider myself an apologist. That's somebody like who can defend the scriptures, their validity, their authenticity, but Everything I'm going to give you from this point forward is something I got from somebody else. Some really smart people, smarter than me. People like Josh McDowell, for example. If you want to look it up, like josh.org, evidence that demands a verdict, great stuff. I'm going to give you some basics. Are you ready? All you note takers say, yeah. Yeah. Okay, here we go. So why can the Bible be trusted? Why can I lean on it, put my weight on it? Number one, because it's historically accurate. Historically accurate. What, this flies in the face of what people say about it. You know, well, it's a good book, great principles, but I don't know about those stories. Those really happened. I don't know about Noah, all the animals getting on a boat. Come on. I don't know about, you know, creation, you know what I mean, Adam and Eve, and, you know, this tree of life and all that kind of stuff. I certainly don't know about Jonah. Well, that little girl did, so anyway, she put that in perspective. And so the problem is that, Uh, history is proving that the Bible is accurate. The more history we have, the more we see the accuracy of the scriptures. It's not just filled with great principles or doctrine. It's actually historically accurate. Psalm 33, 4 in your notes says, For the word of God, the word of the Lord is right and what? And what? True. Is everybody following along? so, So how do you know that? Well, even just taking the Bible out, historians usually have... 
three tests, three kind of uh, lenses to look through to determine whether something is actually historically accurate. These, I don't know if this is in your notes, but these are three tests. Number one, there were eyewitness accounts to prove something's historical accuracy, okay? They're, they're not, in other words, when it comes to this particular book, the Holy Bible, which is not a book, it is a holy book set apart, um, this, isn't, this isn't people said something and then, then they wrote it down. No, these are people who were actually there. The Gospels, uh, which we talked about last week, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, hold the horse till I get on. You guys remember that, I promise you. Uh, those Gospels were written by the, the eyewitnesses. And those four guys, when they wrote those Gospels, amazingly, there was uniformity and accuracy to the story in every single one of those Gospels, and they were written at different times in different places. They didn't all come together and say, hey, what are you putting in chapter 11? I, oh, yeah, okay, I'll put that in chapter 11 too. That's not what happened. That's the, that's the New Testament. But if you went to the Old Testament, same thing. Moses, when the Red Sea that was parted, the burning bush, you know, he was there, and he recorded that in the law, the Pentateuch, the five books in the Bible, amen? So that's one way, and that's, that would be enough. But another reason, another historical kind of rule of thumb is that it has to be recorded and copied with extreme care. It's my belief that, specifically, that God specifically entrusted the recording of God's holy word to a particular people group because they were so meticulous and had such high standards, and that's the Jewish people. The, the, uh, the scribes, the Jewish scribes, were so, so meticulous about the recording of scriptures. In fact, they didn't, they didn't transcribe uh, thought for thought or sentence for sentence. They didn't do it word for word. They did it letter for letter. So when they were, when they were transcribing the law... They would do it from the intro to the middle of the law, letter by letter by letter. And then they, then they would count from the front of the law to the middle letter. They could tell you when that middle letter would be, where it would be. And they would go from the back all the way to the middle. If that number didn't match, they would throw the whole thing out and start over. And, of course, all of it was done by hand. This was a meticulous practice. It was recorded and copied with extreme care. And this kind of flies in the face of the, the notion or the myth that over the years it's been changed, it's been changed, it's been manipulated. No, these, this, thing's been, this thing has been cared for meticulously. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls, many of you probably heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Those are the oldest manuscripts of the scriptures. They weren't found until the 1940s and the 1950s. The manuscripts that had been out there prior to that, when matched to the Dead Sea Scrolls, were literally exact, exactly accurate. And so you can just check it out for yourself. Here's another rule, archaeological confirmation. I know it's a little eggheady this morning, but I think this will help you out because I'm trying to give you certain tools. Some of, maybe if you pull two, pull two of them away, it'll help you in conversation when people try to discredit the scriptures. They keep finding more and more evidence. Over and over again, they find the Bible archaeologically accurate. In fact, one of the, if you look this up, and I, I just happened to do this, but if you look this up, there was one controversy about something that was said in the scriptures that could not be proved. And that was this people group that the Bible referred to. Oh, by the way, just one. But this people group referred to as the Hittites. Some of you probably read about the Hittites. You know, uh, I could tell a funny joke here, but I'm going to stay on track. But anyway, but for years, there was no evidence to prove this people group even existed until very recently. In fact, they, there's been archaeological evidence that confirms 
confirms 100% total accuracy that this people group, this Hittite empire is actually there. Just amazing. Here's the second thing. So it's historically accurate. Number two, it's scientifically accurate. Scientifically accurate. Now, as Christ followers, we believe the laws of the universe were created by God. And therefore, subordinated to that, we have things like medical laws and, you know, different types of sciences and, you know, physiology and anatomy and, and, and then, you know, astronomy, all the astrology, all those things. So when the Bible talks about science, to this day, it has never been successfully contradicted, even though science of those days often didn't believe what was recorded in the scriptures under the direction or leadership of the Holy Spirit. In other words, everything that was penned in the scriptures was inspired by God, but it was the author, but penned by man. But the things that were being penned by man on the scriptures didn't even match, in some cases, what was being believed or practiced in science of the day. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay? So science, just as a background, is always evolving. Always evolving. But God's word has not evolved. Evolving, excuse me. It just stays the same. Are you tracking with me? In fact, if you, you look back at some of your old books, you know, go back and read your fifth grade science book, you know. They, they don't even do that stuff anymore, right? I don't know, but I remember computer science when I was a senior in high school. Uh, you know, it's laughable today. How many remember the uh, Commodore 64 computer? Anybody? Come on, somebody. How many still got one? We want to pray for you right now. If you know what that is and you still have one, no, it's not good. Okay, but that was the best-selling computer of all time. Guinness Book of World Records came out in 1982, but it is completely obsolete because computer science continues to evolve. In Psalm 148, it says, let every created thing... Every created thing, give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command. In other words, he sets things in order, and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. So the Bible is not a science book, but it is still accurate scientifically. Let me give you some examples. In 1861, the French Academy of Science actually wrote uh, this, this uh, document, 51 incontrovertible scientific facts that prove the Bible is wrong. Hashtag, uh, no. Uh, since 1861, every single one of those 51 incontrovertible things have been controvertible <laughs> or have been disproven, okay? And, and it's, just, it's just over and over again they have problems. I'll give you some examples in a minute. But it's interesting not just what the Bible says but also what it doesn't say. There was science during the days of the Bible. Is everybody in agreement with that? There was science during those days. What's interesting is that none of the science um, during, none of those things that were widely accepted as science during those days ended up in the Bible. So this was widely accepted as science, but it doesn't come into the scriptures. So if it was a human book, why would that which was accepted by humans not come into God's book? Just a thought. It's not just what was said, but what wasn't said, right? So for thousands of years, everyone believed the earth was flat. In fact, until 600 years ago, that's what the world believed. Just 600 years ago. You guys know Columbus, you know Copernicus, Galileo. That's when things begin to change. And all of a sudden now, oh, maybe it is round. Maybe it is round. Okay. 2,600 years ago, that was in the scriptures, recorded in the prophet Isaiah, one of our major prophets that we talked about. Look in your notes, Isaiah 40, 22 says, God sits enthroned above the circle, 
Now, that word circle in the Hebrew means sphere or globe. Dun-dun-dum. It was above the circle of the earth. Maybe man didn't write this book. Maybe it was God. Another common belief during the times of the Bible being written was that the earth had to actually be held up. It was not suspended. It wasn't just hanging there. In fact, the Greeks, a very intellectual people group, believed that Atlas, a, a huge man, was holding up. That's where you get these pictures, by the way, because that was a common belief, was holding up the earth. Listen to this. Hindus believe this, that giant elephants held up the earth on their backs. They stood on the back of a giant turtle, which stood on the back of a, of a huge serpent that swam around the oceans of the universe. That was a common belief for thousands of years when the Bible was written. Okay? Okay. So, what takes more faith? Okay, but anyway. The Egyptians... The Egyptians, brilliant architects, are, are they not, right? Known for that, very educated, but they, but they believe the earth is held up by five pillars. Yep, yep, yet Moses, who we know from scripture, was schooled by the Egyptian in the ways of the Egyptian, was the grandson to the Pharaoh, even though he was in that, when he's writing the scriptures, he doesn't put those beliefs in the scriptures, even though that he was raised that way. That was the common belief. In fact, in the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, it's not Job 26, it's Job 26, verse 7, it says, He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. It was already there in the scriptures the whole time. So though it's not a scientific book, it is scientifically what? It's scientifically accurate. Who told Job that? Man? No. God told man that. During the writing of the Bible, they believed also that the numbers of the stars could not be counted. In fact, in 150 B.C., Hipparchus announced, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he announced that uh, 150 B.C. that there were 1,022 stars in the universe. All right? 300 years later, Ptolemy concluded, nope, you're wrong. There's four more, 1,026. All right? But 2,600 years prior, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 22, it says the stars of the sky cannot be counted. In fact, if you look even further back than that, you know that it's got to be a lot because God is talking to Abraham and saying, your offspring shall be as great as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. That was going to be a lot. So God was telling us this in his word all along. It is scientifically accurate. Let's talk about medicine. Are you guys enjoying this? Is it interesting? There's some crazy things that were believed during the writing of the Bible. In fact, they believed that too much blood would make you sick. Too much blood would make you sick. In fact, there was a science that was formed called humoralism, like humoralism. Hippocrates, for example, was one who promoted this. He was known as the father of medicine. And for 2,000 years, they believed you were sick because of your blood or, or, or it could affect your, your body in terms of healing and it could affect your temperament. There were like four basic fluids that were a problem for our sicknesses. One would be your blood, also like phlegm. Another one was bile, yellow and black bile. And so they believed that in order for people to get healthy, you had to bleed them. It was called bloodletting. You would bleed people. You'd literally bleed people out. In fact, President Washington, George Washington, our first president, had heart uh, issues, heart disease. And he had three different attacks. The third time they were, the third time they bloodletted him, he died. He didn't die of a heart attack. He died of bloodletting. 
because they were misinformed. Today, we give people blood. What do we call it? A transfusion, because we know that the life is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11 says, for the life of the body is in the blood. It's been in the Bible the whole time. In the Middle Ages, 25% of all of Europe died of the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages. They didn't understand uh, contagions and germs and how things could be uh, transferred. And so they didn't understand that you could quarantine people just for a certain period of time, kill those contagions and germs, and then they could go right back into life. But the Bible even tells us about quarantining people in Leviticus 13, chapter 4. It tells us about the priests were telling us. God would give this instruction to religious people and say, hey, this is what you need to do. Just quarantine them for seven days and they won't be sick anymore. Did man write this? I think not. I think the Bible is, though it's not a scientific book, it is scientifically accurate. Psalm 12, 6 says, And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Ready for the next one? Number three, it is prophetically accurate. Now, it would be a great risk, um, and, and man would be taking a great risk, to say certain things are going to happen and then them not happen. Right? So the Bible has, has thousands of prophecies, approximately 2,500 prophetic utterances in the scriptures. So if man wrote the book and man said those things, it would be really risky because eventually the proof's in the pudding, yes or no? In fact, in Deuteronomy somewhere, I can't remember where it is, uh, eight, I think 18 or something, no, it's not, somewhere else. Anyway, there's a, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy that talks about the standards upon the Old Testament prophets. They had to speak, listen to this, with 100% accuracy according to God's uh, requirements. So if a prophet came and they said something, as far as God was concerned, it better happen. All right. Now you can have people. You can have uh, uh, people that are not in Christianity who I believe rely on familiar spirits and satanic influences, and they'll say certain things, and maybe it comes to pass. But they don't have to be hundred percent. In fact, they're really bad at it most of the time, and because they're relying on the enemy, they're not relying on God. Amen. But there are thousands of prophecies, 2,500 plus, 2,000 have already been fulfilled. 500 remaining relate to the end times, things that are yet to happen. Over 300 about Jesus alone. And the last prophecy about Jesus was given 400 years before he lived. Of the prophecies related to Jesus, it was over an 1,100-year period. But the most recent one before Jesus came was 400 years before. That would be like somebody coming off the Mayflower and telling me something about today. That's how far away it is from what and where we are now. Can you imagine how much, how much accuracy would be required for people to believe it? Are you tracking with me? Yet the details about Jesus alone are mind-blowing. The Bible talks about where he'd live before he came to be, where he would be born. In fact, the prophet Micah in 700 B.C. said that Jesus would be born in a little town of Bethlehem. I mean, come on. All right, how he'd be born, uh, he'd ride in Jerusalem on a donkey. It even says he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver in the book of Zechariah, 500 years before it actually happened. David, one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible, prophesied 400 years before that Jesus would die by crucifixion. That's not just amazing all by itself. Crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. It came with the Romans hundreds of years later. I mean, my mind was getting blown just going over all this stuff again, okay? All these details, plus, let me, let me just try to put it into mathematical terms for you. Not, not, I, I can barely carry the one, but let me just help you with this, okay? <laughs> Dr. Peter Stoner, he's this guy. He's not a stoner, so don't misinterpret that. Uh, you're like, hey, at least he got some relief. But anyway, uh, 
Dr. Peter Stoner, he's an expert in probability. And so he did these studies, and he took like 600 experts, researchers uh, on probability with him. They formed this council, National Council of Science. And they studied the probability of one person, uh, one person fulfilling eight prophecies. They did all these numerical studies. So Jesus, in the scriptures, fulfills 300 prophecies in the scriptures. 300, okay? But one person to fulfill eight prophecies, they just pulled out eight, it would take, it would be like one in ten to the 17th power. So that's, that's one and then 17 zeros after that. That's the probability of that actually being able to happen. To fulfill 16 prophecies would be one to, to, in 10 to the 45th. To fulfill 48 prophecies would be one in 10 to the 157th. But Jesus, one to 10 to the 300th. That's just incredible. And, and it, it'd be like, just one in eight would be like you taking... The state of Texas, that's a big state, is it not? And putting silver dollars two feet high over the entire state of Texas. Marking one of them, just marking one of them. Taking a guy from Oklahoma, putting him on a helicopter, blindfolding him, flying over Texas. And the first chance, the first time he picks that one out. That's the probability of one to ten to the eighth. Okay? So it's just incredible what we're talking about here. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke who? From God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said this about the Bible. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in scriptures. And by the way, all they had when, they, when Jesus said this was the Old Testament, which means that some of the prophecies are yet to happen. And we need to make sure we are on the right side of those prophecies. Can I have an amen? Revelation 22, 6 says, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord your God who inspires the prophets. So it's really important important. It takes, I believe, more faith to believe the prophecies of the Bible are coincidence than to believe God planned them from the beginning. Number four, it's thematically unified. I did this last week a little bit. I talked about how important the scriptures and how they come together. They're uniform, unified, thematically. They're, 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 they're written uh, 66 books, two covenants, two testaments, new and old, over 40 different authors, uh, over 1,600 year span, as we talked about, uh, three different continents, uh, dozens of countries, three different languages, all kinds of different people, yet one book thematically, without contradiction, all pointing to one person, Jesus. Luke 24, 27 says, in the beginning, with Moses and all the prophets, speaking of the Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus takes his time on the road to Emmaus, after he'd been resurrected, to say, hey, all that, you were, all that you've been studying all this time, it all points to me. It all points to me. It's all about me. So that's what the Bible is all about. It's all about me. In fact, if you guys want a great resource, this is one of my favorites of all time. Uh, they have a newly revised one since I've been, uh, as I've gotten older. But anyway, this is what the Bible's all about, if you guys are ever interested in something. And, and this is by um, um, Marietta Mears, excuse me, Henrietta Mears. Um, in each one of the studies on each book in the Bible, like Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, it will give uh, a summary of the book and where you can find Jesus in the book. It's really cool. 
So this is a really, really great thing. And I'll just give you like in Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. It'll give you all these different like, oh, that's Jesus. Oh, you know, oh, oh, oh. It'll just pop for you. Fantastic book if you guys are interested. Number five. You still liking this? Okay, I got two more. I got two more. All right. This is my favorite one. This is why I believe you can trust the scriptures because Jesus trusted the scriptures. Amen. Yes or no? Amen. Okay, so if Jesus trusted it, we should too. Some people are just all about, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. What about you? And we sing the song. But when it comes to the Bible, we're like, ah, you know, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. I don't know if I can trust the Bible. What Jesus did, what about that? How can you trust Jesus and not trust the Bible? Because Jesus is the word. He became flesh and dwelt among each one of us in John chapter 1, verse 14. So you can't separate the two. Okay, Matthew 5, 18, it says, Jesus speaking, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, which means they will, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything in it is accomplished. I mean, Jesus took the word of God very seriously. Well, like PD, the word, you know, is not as relevant today. The world's changing. Culture's changing. It's moving so fast. And, 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 and I would just say to you this. I think sometimes if something's going to change, don't, we, we don't want to make, don't, don't, we don't want to make the Bible, like, we don't want to conform to the Bible. We want the Bible to fit us. But we need to fit into the Bible. Amen? Because the Bible is, it's, it's, it works. The word works in our lives. And if you believe what you like in the Bible but don't believe what you don't like, it's, it's, maybe it's not the Bible that you trust. And this can be a little strong, but maybe you trust yourself. Maybe you trust yourself. That, how's that working out? That's all I would say. How's that working out for you? We've turned sometimes faith into my own religion. This is not uncommon. And, and I'm, I'm not judging anybody i'm just saying that we can't maybe we're struggling because we're on the throne of our life and god's word and god is not on the throne of our life and so maybe we're struggling because of that and so i don't i don't i don't understand i want to put sometimes you know my filters aside You're like well i don't get it or i don't understand it you maybe you need to put your filters aside i don't get a lot of things i don't get digestion but i keep eating i don't understand my wife but i keep chasing her Okay, there's just some things I do because I trust the person. I love, I love the person because there's results that, that, that made a difference in my life. And so I would just say to you, sometimes you, you need to trust the word because Jesus trusted it. If you trust Jesus, trust the word. Amen? Number six, here's another reason to trust the Bible. It has survived all attacks. The Bible is the most despised, derated, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, you know, destroyed book of all time. It is. Yet, it is the best-selling, most read, the greatest source of art, architecture, music. The word of God has endured and will continue to endure forever and ever, okay? First Peter 24, 1.24 says, The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord, what? It endures how long? How long? Forever, forever. There was a great man, a philosopher, an atheist as well, named Voltaire. Some of you probably studied him when you were in college or school. He had, actually had like eight names, like Jean-Claude, Ron, you know, Le Poisson, Le Poisson, he, 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 ha, ha, I don't know, but he had a lot of names. They just named him Voltaire. It's kind of like Prince. You know, they just said, just give him one name. So Voltaire was this, this French philosopher, brilliant, brilliant man. He said, and during his time, he said, within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. 
What's, the only thing that's been forgotten is that quote. And if this isn't God humor, I don't know what is, but when he died, the French Bible Society is on his property where his home was. That is, that's funny. I think God's like, ha ha, God's like, I'll have the last, he will have the last laugh. He will have the last laugh, okay? That's serious. So, so when you keep looking at all this stuff, you're going to have to decide what's going to be the final authority in your life. Do you have an authority in your life? Is there a moral compass in your life? Is there something that determines right and wrong for you? Yes or no? Go, stay. What is that for you? Do you have something like that or is it you? And if it's you, how's it working out for you? How's it working out for you? I think we need a final authority. Is it going to be the word or the world? And you can't just like what you like. And, you know, he's God. He's God. And as God, I believe he gets exclusive rights to determine right and wrong, in my opinion, in the opinion of many. And I'm certainly not the opinion, but in the word of God, we see that. The word of God is critical. Your uh, acceptance of it as the authority of your life to the struggles that you're actually facing in your life, you need to be able to step onto that and know that in spite of the fact that you might feel insecure about certain things, that will never let you down, the word of God. When I was a gymnastic coach years ago, I told you some stories about this recently. But I remember I used to, it was my responsibility to convince these young students that uh, they would be okay, that they could trust me. I had to get down sometimes on one knee. I'd look them in the eye. The success of their, of their um, behaviors, the success of the things that they wanted to accomplish was 100% connected to their ability to trust me as their coach because they were going to have to do things, go places, uh, kind of go into new territory that I'd never gone before, and the only way that was going to be possible is unless they trusted me as their coach. And I'm hoping you get to the place where you trust God's word more so than you would a human being or a human coach, but you trust him because he's God, amen? Because, number seven, it has transforming power. It has transforming power. The word of God, if you will apply it to your life, we say this all the time at Connect, if you will give us a year of your life, you didn't get where you are. The things that you're struggling with privately, internally, the things that are happening in your life, they didn't happen overnight and they will not always be rectified overnight. Sometimes God won't allow that because he's trying to develop your character, not just continue to foster your comfort. Because comfort will never develop anybody. But sometimes the pain and the trials and the difficulties with somebody right alongside you is that which is, that is which what will develop you. Yeah. Character is not, you know, it is not uh, uh, exemplified in Christ. It's, 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 it's demonstrated in crisis, but it was developed over time. It was developed over time. John 8, 31, it says, I will hold, if you will hold, Jesus said this, if you will hold to my teaching. Underline or circle that word hold. Hold on to it. If you will hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And when you hold on to it like that, when you meditate on it day and night, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who, who delights in the word. Day and night he meditates. He shall be like a fruitful tree, what? Planted by the waters of the Lord. And then everything he does, the Bible says, will prosper. When you hold on to the teaching of God, you're really my disciples. Then the Bible says, then you will know. Another word to circle or underline. That word know is not like intellectual ascent. It's like experiential. It is rhema. It is like know, like a woman knows she's pregnant. No. When you know the truth like that, that truth 
truth will set you free. You will not be the same person that you were before because you held on to his word. You held on to his word. Some of you are not holding on to his word. Some of you discard his word. You diminish the importance of his word. Sometimes it's diluted in your thought life because you're elevating your thoughts above God's word. Elevate his word. Hold on to his word and you will be set free. Amen? This is a bonus scripture from 1 John chapter 5 as I conclude. This is not in your notes. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Many people don't have confidence approaching God. We go to God, we're like, mm, I, I hope, he, mm, hope he's there. I hope he's listening. Maybe, crapshoot, you know, he'll say yes. Many people don't have that because of your view of God, because of the bad approach you have towards God, because of no approach towards God. The Bible says, but if we have confidence in approaching God, that, uh, that if we ask anything, everybody say anything, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that no is key, he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. Now you can see on your feet, I want to share something with you as we conclude. Did you get something out of that this morning? Oh, man, I'm pumped up. I'm ready. I'm ready. I could preach, I could preach two more times. Oh, yeah, I have to. <laughs> if you know the word like that, let me, let me try to put it in terms you can understand. And, and this, is for, this is all plays. Everybody tracking with me? I want you to stay with me, okay, because God wants to help some of you. You're not just coming to church, do time. Oh, thanks. Let's go to Piccadilly. I know it's not ready. I miss Piccadilly, okay? I'm sorry. I miss Piccadilly. Okay, so anyway, listen, listen. If you, were, if you were sick when you were a kid, remember when you were sick, the person you would go to when you were sick, you'd go to your mom and dad, and you'd go to your mom and dad, and you would have a certain confidence when you went to your mom and dad. You just knew that they were going to give you something that was going to help you. And sometimes all that mom and dad would just be like, oh, come here, hug, hug, you know what I mean? They're like, you don't even realize they were distracted, but they were just being loving for a second. And sometimes as a kid, you're like, oh, I feel so much better. Another time you go to your parent, they'd give you a, you know, a vitamin, you know, the size of a candy bar. You'd be like, oh, gosh. You know, but but you, would, you knew it would help you. You knew it would help you even though you had, to, you had to do it. Sometimes they'd give you medicine. It's the same thing sometimes now as adults. We don't maybe go to our parents, but we go to a doctor. And we, we take the time out to go to a doctor. We take the time out to sit there on a table, you know, in, in one of those, what are they call those things, little gurney things, like half naked for an hour and a half in the cold with my butt on the thing. But we have some kind of confidence in my brain that when that doctor comes, they're going to give me something that's going to really help me. They know. They know that there's, there's a confidence that something they're going to say is going to give me what I need. We don't have a fraction of that when we come to God. That's our problem. So when the word is saying, when you know like that, when you have that kind of confidence that anything you ask for in accordance to his will, he will hear you. Amen. I want you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Some of you need to know God like that. Some of you need a miracle like that. Some of you need a healing like that of your mind, of your, 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 your broken mind your broken heart, and your broken body. Some of you are going to get that, that, that healing is going to begin this morning, and it's going to continue tonight. But you might need to change your expectations. You might need to elevate the word of God in your heart and mind. You need to know like that. Some of you may not know what you believe the way you need it to, but some of you don't know in whom you have believed. And you're, you haven't been until now persuaded that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Maybe today you are. Maybe you're not here 
by accident. Maybe you're listening online and you're respond, you're, 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 something's happening to you. You realize, you know what? I, I need to know Jesus. If you're here today and you, you don't know who you believe in, not just what, but who, that's where it starts. It starts. Your eyes will be open when you come to him. Then your head, will, it, it will all come into focus. you got to repent so that the times of refreshing can come, the Bible says. The veil and scales on your eyes will come off when you come to Jesus. If that's you and you know God is speaking to you, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to raise your hand saying yes to God. I want Jesus in my life. I want to be in relationship with him right now. Raise your hand. Just be, just be bold. God bless you. 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 Yes, 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 yes. All over the room. That's awesome. That's awesome. You can put your hand on. That's fantastic. Those of you online, don't miss it. I want you to pray this prayer. Church, would you join them? Would you, would you boldly declare this? Let's mean this from your heart. It's a confession you're making with your mouth that is in agreement with your heart. And that's what ignites the spirit inside of you. And that's what brings about the change. Say, Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, Jesus. The whole book's about you. You're the subject. I'm the object. You gave for me. And I want to give my life back to you. I ask that you save me right now, that you do something on the inside of me that I could not do for myself. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I need help. Apart from you, I'm lost. But with you, I am found. Now let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, every person that prayed that prayer, I pray that something just happened inside of them. All over this place, they're different people. They're spiritually alive now. They're spiritually alive now. They're infants just coming into the world, and, and, and they're crying, but everybody's celebrating because a bunch of babies were just born into the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that when babies are born, the angels rejoice, heaven rejoices. It's a party. Let's all rejoice like there was a party in heaven because there is. Let's do it right down here on earth in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Woo! <laughs>